Welcome to this episode of Professed Hers, a podcast about movies, music, history, pop culture, current events, and literature, all discuss the perspective of women's issues and feminism. I'm Allegra, and I think the most patriarchal advice I've ever received is somebody once said to me, you should really look at your face in the mirror. <laughs> and at first I was like confused. I was like, do I have something on my face? But I think they were just telling me that I had um, resting mean face. Yes. And they were basically, I mean, I think this was just a very roundabout way of telling me to smile. Yeah. Without saying the word. Yeah. I'm Misty, and I think the worst advice I ever got, keep in mind, history is still really male-dominated. Yeah. I was told that I need to make sure I can fit in with the boys. So when you get in there, don't do a job talk about one of those feminist topics, and, you know, make sure you're pitching what they want to (laughs) catch. That's so much worse than mine. That was actually on an episode of the most recent season of Orange is the New Black. They did, have you seen it? They did a Mm -hmm. backstory for one of the guards. And of course, prison guard is male dominated feel as most law enforcement positions are. And uh, there's a whole story about how she was made to feel like you've got to fit in and be one of the guys. And it's on you to fit in with them, not on them to make sure that they're creating a space for you. So yeah, it's just an interesting situation I guess I've never been in because I teach English. So that's mostly female dominated. Mostly for for ladies. Yeah. (laughs) Historically. Ladies like books. Yeah. Yeah. So we're continuing our conversation from the last episode. Yeah. And we're talking about getting hired, getting a job. And this episode we're focusing on the interview process. The interview, the hiring. um, And then once you have a job, negotiating for salary, asking for promotions, all of those kinds of tricky situations and how to navigate them. So once a job ad is posted, okay, people are going to apply for it. So we fixed our gendered language. We have posted our new ad. Right. And women are more likely or women will apply for jobs if they really only feel 100% qualified. I meet all of the qualifications. And men are more likely to apply for jobs if they're like, I meet most of those. Did it ever occur to you to apply for a job that you didn't meet every single qualification? Oh, yeah. I have applied for many jobs. I've gotten many jobs that didn't meet all the requirements. That has never occurred to me. Yeah. Like, why would I apply for something if I don't? But I think that has less to yeah. do, in my case, with gender than it has to do with arrogance. But does Yes, <clears throat> I agree with you. So we have, we have ads out there. We have applications. Let's talk about your resume for just a few minutes. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because I'm not an expert, but I have d- done a bunch of reading about this. And there is an article in Harvard Business Review that says... Despite the fact that companies spend millions of dollars on diversity programs, there's rarely any results. So a company can spend millions of dollars. Likely they will hire at least one person whose sole job it is to make a company more diverse and more inclusive. But that diversity programs mostly just make white workers feel better about their employer. Wow. That the chief result of a diversity program is it makes white people who work there feel like we are doing a better job of treating people of color. We got gold stars, guys. Yeah. We're awesome. Exactly. And so the researchers looked into this 
into a practice of whitening resumes. And this is a practice in which a person of color looking for a job takes out things from their resume that might reveal their race. We work with somebody who did this. So there's a fear that if it's too obvious that they are a person of color or Mm -hmm. a person of international descent, that they won't even get looked at for a job. So they might alter a foreign-sounding name. They or might use a middle name instead of a first they name. They might abbreviate their name so that it's only the first syllable, which can might sound more Americanized. Or an initial. Yes. So half of the people in this study, they're all people of color applying for jobs, half of them um, reported that they had altered their name in some way on their application or resume. But there are other common strategies for whitening your resume. They might omit experiences that they've had that would identify their race, like memberships in specific organizations or specific sorority fraternities. But they might tone down what they call racial identifiers. Right. So being part of a black or an Asian professional association. um, And they would add experiences they considered white. So what's a white experience? Hiking. Okay. Kayaking. Golfing. These are things that seem white. Mainstream white American culture. Signal whiteness. Well, and middle classness and all of those things. These are things that are perceived by applicants to be connected to mainstream white American culture. Mm -hmm. So they put those things on their resume. Because there's a lot of people on their resumes put interests or hobbies. Any of that. Okay, you work in academia. Yeah. It is different. I used to work in business. People put interests. But to be Does honest with you. anybody look at that, though? It seems like that whole section of the resume is a place to to be writing in code. Oh. I mean, it seems like, like you said, like your hobbies or your interests kind of signal how much money you have, what kind of background you come from, what kind of family you come from, what kind of culture you relate to. Um, There are signals, it seems like, and because they usually have almost no relevance to the actual job. So it seems like they're trying to signal to people, this is the kind of person I am, because they know that hiring managers are looking for a good fit. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the application. But then we have to interview. Ooh, can we talk about interviewing? Because, oh, man, so much of this research made me so mad. <sighs> can I tell you what I found? Yeah, you go first. So according to researchers, women in interviews are more likely to be interrupted mid-sentence. Oh, for the love. And face more follow-up questions in academic interviews. That's us. This is our world. <sighs> than men. So this is in the Journal of Social Sciences that said interviewing men, so men who are interviewing women, are twice as likely to interrupt a woman as they are to interrupt a man, and that when they interrupt men, it's generally to give them positive reinforcement. I'll be honest with you. I have been a woman. Well, I am a woman. <laughs> but I have been a woman who was interviewing a man. Uh-huh. And I have been interrupted by the man I'm interviewing. Oh. Mid-sentence. I have also been told by men I'm interviewing why a question I asked them was or wasn't a good question. Oh, okay. 
That's nice. So another study I found. These tendencies run strong. Yeah. Now, this one was from Silicon Valley, so a different world than ours. But Maybe a different world than yours. Whatever. Just kidding. Um, these are collected from 200 women who were mid to executive level. And part of the study was, what inappropriate question have you been asked during a job interview? Okay, so this is the part where a person might rage turn off the podcast. You ready? Just stay with us. Okay. Don't rage turn us off. Or if you do, <laughs> take a deep breath and come back. Because this is going to make you mad. Okay, go. How so these are a list of totally inappropriate questions women in Silicon Valley have been asked in interviews. Yes. Okay. Okay, ready? Yes. How do we know that you're just not going to run off and have a baby? Okay, then this next one was a woman who was interviewing for a partnership, so she'd be the third partner. Mm-hmm. How do we know that you're going to give as much as the other two partners, given that you're a mom with a young child? One woman was asked what her views on religion and abortion were. One was asked, who is going to be watching your child while you work? How are you going to create work-life balance? How did you get interested in science or technology, depending on which one is being asked? Are you married? Now, that last one, if you want to really get mad and you want to, like, rage out on something, I found this article. I don't even want to link it because it's people are going to be mad, but it's on LinkedIn. And this is advice from a man to women who are applying for jobs. And he says, the best thing you can do in an interview is to take off your engagement or wedding ring. Not how to be more confident, not how to be more assertive, not how to have great answers, but take off your ring. Especially, so that you seem single? No, no. Especially if you have a large diamond. Because he said when a man sees a woman with a ring that's really large, he assumes that you're high maintenance. And when the woman at the office who has the largest ring on you her... You have got to be kidding me. <laughs> no. When a man sees a woman with a large diamond ring, he assumes that she is high maintenance. According to this guy, yes. His advice... Oh, no, no. This isn't even is the worst to part. to take off your wedding ring. Okay, you ready? This is the worst part. I have been holding it in this whole time you're reading these questions and I want to make all these sound effects in the background. I'm like, be quiet. Let her finish. talk. You have got to be kidding me. When the woman at the office who has the largest diamond on her finger sees your ring, she will realize that if you're hired, she will fall to second place. What? No one does that. No one does that. We don't do that. We don't compare our rings and see which one is in first place. That is not a thing that women do. We're like, you got a great ring. Good for you. Get it, girl. No one is like, oh, now I'm in second place. Missy's ring is bigger than mine. I feel like I can't even see anymore. (laughs) What is hat? What? And this article isn't from the 1950s. It's from 2016. That is not a thing that happens. Yeah, and his whole evidence was there was this woman that was interviewing for jobs all over town, and she didn't get anything, and then he told her this advice, and then she got the next job she interviewed for because she took the ring off. So he's like, see, it works. Sure. Great scientific method. Yeah. Can you imagine, though, telling a man, oh, hey, take your ring off when you go in for an interview. It's pretty shiny. You don't want people to think you're high maintenance. 
What are you talking about? Why are you look? <clears throat> when I clicked on that article, I knew I was going to be mad, but I thought it was going to be, oh, if she has an engagement ring, that means she's likely to get married. That means she might have children soon. Which all well, that's those are all huge assumptions, when right? I, when I saw in your research that thirty percent of women take off their wedding rings, I thought it was so that they appeared single, so that men would be more likely to hire them, because because it's a captive audience they can hit on, right? I mean, and so maybe that's my bad gender assumption there as well. But but this is so this much worse. Is worse. I did find a list of advice, pieces of advice, for women who are going to job interviews. Oh, is it going to be so helpful? And so at first I thought, cool, great. Cool. (laughs) It's for womenforhire.com. That sounds like Oh, so specifically for women. For women. Okay. Women for hire. Got it. Here's what to do on the day of your interview, Right. And I'm like, great, let's get women prepared to take on challenges and to assume that they, even if they don't know something, that it's something they could figure out, right? Because that's another thing that happens in job interviews is you have to approach questions like, it's fine if you don't know the answer. They're looking for how you respond when you don't know the answer, Mm -hmm. right? So all those kinds of head games that people play. No, no, that's not what this is. I'm so excited. (laughs) Make sure you have directions to the office. If it seems confusing, consider a trial run the day before. Arrive early. (laughs) I'm sorry. You already lost me. (laughs) We're just going to assume that women are the dumbest people on earth. Arrive early. There is absolutely no excuse for lateness in an interview. Plus, by arriving a few minutes early, you'll be able to check out the company. And perhaps glean some last-minute information from the atmosphere and staff. Instead of whipping out the current issue of Cosmopolitan, try chatting up the receptionist instead. If you're sitting alone, be sure to have a copy of the newspaper or an industry journal to read while you're waiting. No romance novels. Show your professionalism. What? First of all, if I... Oh my god! If I see a person in the lobby about to be interviewed for a job and they're reading an industry journal, I'm going to be like, you brought that just for the interview. Like that. You can put your prop away now. That is the most unnatural seeming thing you can do. Okay. I'm sorry. Wait, who is this person that's taking a romance novel around with them? And what's wrong with reading a romance novel? This is a very stressful time in your life. People read romance novels as a way to escape and calm down and relax. But you've even said, like, the number one download on Kindles is a romance novel. So, I mean, why are you not just bringing your Kindle? Yeah. Do be hungry for the job, not a sandwich. Eat something light before you arrive. Nothing too heavy to make you sick. Just something to leave you satisfied. Are, is this advice for people who've never left their home before? Bring some extra breath mints, but never chew gum or candy during an interview. Do dress appropriately. Appearance does matter in an interview situation. Be formal and professional. Wear a suit, minimal jewelry, and a neat hairstyle, which I'm going to talk about in just a mm-hmm. minute. For more information about how to dress, they have a whole special section about dressing for an interview. Um, 
treat support staff politely and professionally, have references ready. Here's some good ones. Do aspire to sparkle. Oh my God. <laughs> I have never sparkled. Never once in my life have I sparkled. Show it in your eyes and in your voice. Are there explicit directions on how to sparkle? Because I would need those. Don't discuss don't discuss special needs in the first meeting. A first interview is not the time for you to bring up money, hours, or special needs like flex time. Oh my gosh, don't miss the chance to ask a smart question. <sighs> but don't ask any dumb ones. <laughs> what is what is this? Who wrote this? But yeah, there is a special section at the bottom called Time to Shine. Oh my god. Choose clothes that fit and flatter your body type. Wear business clothes, not disco attire. When was this published? It had to be like 1975. Wear daytime makeup. No heavy eyeliner or glitzy shadows. So the saddest thing, obviously this is a single website, right? Uh, 2014. So the saddest thing about this, though, is when you Google like women job interviews, which you might Google if you're a woman going on a job interview. This is one of the top results. When I Googled it, all I found um, at first, before I changed my search terms, and I forget what I put in at first, but all I found at first was how to dress and what matches what. Like a navy blazer matches a khaki skirt. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one too. Like this doesn't help me in an interview. Yeah. What if it's a phone interview? Mm Mm-hmm. They can't see that. So we're going to include also a link to a JSTOR article about hair discrimination, specifically against natural black hair. Mm -hmm. It is uh, something that has been brought up legally and in courts since the Civil Rights Act many times. And courts are very undecided about it. But um, there are formal policies in company handbooks and dress codes about how an employee has to wear their hair. And there are certain hairstyles sometimes that are formally banned. And just recently, the um, armed services, the military, yes. changed their regulations to allow natural hair for um, black people. But that's that's fighting the formal dress codes. But also you have to consider the discrimination that a person would encounter in a job interview. Right. Because nobody's going to say to you, you didn't get hired because... Right. But there are perceptions mm-hmm. that people have about hairstyles that do or don't look professional. And those perceptions that white people have are wrong, right? And so we just think if you have hair that looks similar to our hair, then... It's more professional. Right. It's a cultural bias. It's obviously racist. And it it's a formal problem, right, when people are in a workplace and they're told you have to change your hair, you have to cut your hair, you have to change your hair. No one in their, no one in my entire life has ever told me I should or shouldn't do something to my hair. Has that ever happened to you? Well, yeah, I'm excluding my mom. <laughs> Yeah, your mom's allowed, your mom's going to tell you regardless, right? No matter what haircut I get, it's the wrong one. Yeah, I mean, you do get a lot of wrong haircuts. (laughs) Thanks, with my C-SPAN haircut. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff that's rage-inducing here. Yeah. 
But what is like literally our best advice to women in interviews? What would you tell women? I don't know. Okay, well, I got a list. It's a it's a terrible world out there. <laughs> Just don't leave your house. That's my best advice. Okay, so in interviews, don't say, well, it was really a team effort. My team worked really hard on that. Because I know what you're trying to say there, right? Yeah, that's what you say at work. That's right. what you say when you receive a praise for a job and you want to be humble and make sure people get recognition. That's definitely not what you say in an interview. But so many women do because we've been socialized for so long that it's kind of braggy mm-hmm. to talk about how great you are. Mm-hmm. But you know what? An interview is the place to do that. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and go in there and tell them how awesome you are and how great you are. Because you can bet any man that walks in that door is doing the same thing. Yeah. And I guess all of the advice that I have is for people who are conducting the interviews. Oh, I have more advice for people who are going to an interview. (laughs) So I know that when I interview candidates... They're every single one of them. I want to give them advice. I want to say, oh, don't say that. Oh, right. The biggest, most frequent piece of advice I have is to be specific. Because I think what people, especially women, have a tendency to do is to say, yeah, we had a, I, I had a great sales year. I had, what does that mean? Right. So tell us what you did. Right. And I think it goes back to what you're saying. Like people don't want to be too braggy. But tell me how many nights you stayed late. Tell me how many customer calls you made. Tell men. Tell me how many people you approached outside of work to try and network and make connections. I mean, tell me what kinds of things that you did in the workplace to encourage someone else. Like, don't just say, yeah, we had a great year or even we, I, you know, I increased the sales numbers. Tell us how, tell us what you did. And I think women have a tendency to think that what they did is no big deal or what they did is what anybody could do it. Anyone would have Mm -hmm. done or what they did is what everyone does, but that's not true, right? If you have an accomplishment, it's because you did more or better than other people. And you can give us the specifics. Well, and if you're even in the room for an interview, you're in the top 10%. Right. Yeah. So don't feel grateful for the interview. Feel like I deserve this. Yeah. I should be here. Yeah. And you should want me on your team. Because that's the thing I think like women is, oh, thank you so much for interviewing me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And they never get to the point where it's like, and this is why I'm awesome. I've, I've had people come in to interview. I've had women come in to interviews and be like, I can't believe that you called me in for an interview. I've had that too. And it's like, you just want to hug them, right? And, and be like, like, look at your resume. Of course I called you in for an interview. Right? Uh, it's, it's just because you've been socialized for so long, right? Yeah. Don't take credit for things. Everything's a team effort. Yeah. And that works against you. Mm-hmm. So, so, so often it mm-hmm. works against you. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, it's all ha- the stuff that makes you want to work with that person. <laughs> it's not going to work in an interview. Yeah. It's hard to know what a person is looking for. And I think that sometimes we try to be overly accommodating. And the thing is, everybody is looking for a good fit. Exactly. So they want you 
we want you to be as close to your natural self as you can. Obviously, you can't be overly familiar. You can't make the same kinds of jokes that you would make. But don't yell at people to put their phones up. (laughs) You know, but they do want you to be relatively authentic because everybody is judging whether you're a fit. So I feel like it's the same advice I had for students who were preparing to take standardized tests. Never assume that something is a trick question. Never assume that they're looking for a very specific answer and try to game that out. There might be one trick question out of 20 or 12 that you get asked. So it's a better assumption to just assume there are no trick questions and to answer everyone as genuinely and in complete detail as you can. So when the trick question comes up, you may or may not They might be looking for some specific secret answer. But again, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. I think a lot of times people go into interviews and think that they're being like psychologically tested. Right. You know what I mean? Like I've got to display this balance of strength and humility. And it's like, just tell us why you're good for this job. Right. And the rest, the personality factors and all of those things, they're either natural or they're not. But it's possible that the hiring manager, the hiring committee has a bias against you because of your gender, because of your race, because of your hairstyle, because of your body type, because of your age. And we know that discrimination against women isn't the only kind of hiring discrimination that's happening, obviously, of course. But I think it's more important to give companies advice. Well, I think both should be getting advice. Yes. I just don't feel like women hear this stuff enough. Like, I I don't feel like, at least for me in college, no one ever told me in an interview, you have to brag a little bit. Like, no one ever said to me, it's not obnoxious here. Yeah. Because it's obnoxious anywhere else. But not in an interview room. Not for you, Allegra. Yeah. Because that's just how you live your life. (laughs) It really, really is. But for everyone else. Yeah. But it's worked out well for me. So people often say that women aren't trained to speak with authority and confidence. Yes. And I think that a lot of us have heard or read research studies that have to do with the tone of voice and how people very subconsciously... Think of lower register voices as being more authoritative. Yes. And obviously, we're not going to tell you to go to a job interview and use your Theranos voice. Yeah, please don't do that. (laughs) But um, other than talking like this, is that true? Do you think that, I mean, do you think boys and men are trained to speak with authority and confidence and women aren't? Or do you think that it's about the way a woman's voice and demeanor is responded to? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think I'm not speaking with as much confidence and with as much assurity? Oh, you have all the confidence. (laughs) Or do you think people just don't interpret me as being confident and assured because I have a higher register voice, which I don't really even have that high of a register voice, or because I'm a female or because of the speech patterns. I think speech patterns. To me, that's the thing that really stands out. So how many times have you been in a meeting where a woman wants to make a point, and rather than just making it, she goes, I'm sorry, I just have this thing to say. Yes. 
I mean, you do it. Oh, I do it all the time. You do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I and mean, sometimes I mean it sarcastically, <laughs> but it doesn't come off but that way. But sometimes, I mean, sometimes you're in, you feel like you're in a situation where you have to do that. Yes. And we talked about with interviews, if you're getting interrupted the whole time and you're trying to answer a question. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back to this point here. Yes. Because obviously I didn't make it well enough. And you're trained that you can't really, you're not supposed to trample on someone's ego. So you know that they're wrong for interrupting you and you know that it's your turn to speak. But you also know if you want them to hear you, you have to start by apologizing maybe. Well, and also I mean, they have something you want. They're, yeah, they have a job that you would like to have. And they know it. Too. Yes. And the other, I mean, I don't want to get too far into the weeds when it comes to voices and speaking with the surety, but the whole concept of like upspeak and vocal fry, which people think makes women and girls sound less authoritative. Yes. That's, I mean, voice discrimination sounds weird, but it's but a thing. It's a real thing. Um, and there's a whole podcast about that, by the way, <laughs> that's called the vocal fries, but, um, that's cute. Yeah. Their little logo is French fries. But so I'm reading on the notes here that one mistake that entry level female candidates make is not speaking with authority or confidence. So I just want to say I don't necessarily accept that as true. I think maybe a lot of women don't have the same training and experience with speaking with authority or confidence. But I also think that if a woman and a man said the exact same thing in the exact same way and they just had different voices, that they might be received differently by the same audience. So I I think think part of that's on the receiver as well. Right, for sure. But I think also when you're going into an interview, to some extent, like psych yourself up. Yeah. And just act like you are the absolute expert in everything you're going to talk about. Yeah. And honestly, most of the time you probably are. That's true. Because your hiring managers don't know everything. So if you say something that's just like a slight little bit wrong. Yeah. Unless they ask yeah. you, just go with it. Yeah. Just be confident. Yeah. And unfortunately, the other common piece of advice is about how to dress. And that is something that I think, at least from my perspective, is easier for a man to navigate is how to dress for an interview. White shirt, blue suit, blue tie. And obviously there are factors like fit and lapel and shoes and accessories and all those kinds of things that men have to consider. I, it's not not all suits are the same, and I know that. But it is a more intricate process because a woman in a suit has a certain connotation, right? Mm-hmm. That that brings a particular image. It's not there is not. I don't feel like a neutral outfit that a woman can wear right everything is either i just feel like it's all loaded and it all read into anything right exactly if you show up at an interview wearing a pantsuit yes or you show up wearing in a skirt yes those might communicate different things to the interviewer yeah whether or not you're trying to yeah i mean it could be this is what i'm wearing because i feel good in it and it's also um there's also this issue of fashion, right? Like you can't, you're not supposed to wear clothes that are out of date. And I feel like suits, obviously styles do change, but I feel like they stay in fashion or at least don't date themselves nearly as quickly as women's clothes does do. So I feel like there's a little bit more of a challenge there. And I don't think there's anything that a hiring manager or an institution can do to change the world's perception of clothes. Um, I just think, we want to make 
make it known that that's a little more challenging for a woman who's getting ready to go to a job interview. And I know when I've prepared for job interviews before and I like show some of my outfit, especially when I was interviewing for a high school job, people will be like, mm, that makes you look a little bit like an art teacher. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. I've actually been told that many times. You look like an art teacher. I don't know. But yeah, so my sister would be like, that. you don't want people to think you're eccentric. Well, and then another challenge that women have, especially I think early in their career is, especially like I look younger than I am. Yeah. And I looked like an infant going to interviews. I know yeah. I did. Yeah. But you like want to be professional and taken seriously. Yeah. And that's really hard to navigate. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know if it's the same for men. I don't feel like it is. I don't think so. I feel like it's a lot easier. Yeah. Now, um, around dress, as you can imagine, there is a whole bunch of really bad advice out there for women. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people just assume that women don't know how to dress themselves, I guess. Or that they're going to be too provocative. Yeah. Which I don't. (laughs) <laughs> think that's the the choice most women trying to get a job no, are making. No, uh, but I did want to read something to you that I found. Okay, give me some good advice. No, no, this isn't good. I just oh. I just want to get your reaction to this because I read it. I was like, hmm, that seems okay. If you're unsure what to wear, go to the company office a few days before the interview and look around. See what other women are wearing. Wear something similar. How does that work? To me, I'm like I'm picturing like somebody hiding in bushes. And, like, watching women go to work. I mean, there aren't a lot of workplaces that are just like, come in, walk around, look at people. You don't have an appointment here. You don't have them. I mean, I guess if it's a bank, you can go and pretend to do business <laughs> and see what people are wearing. Stand outside with a clipboard. But if you're, if you're interviewing for a job in a high school, you 100% cannot just show up and walk around. Um, it's a little creepy to me. This is bad advice. I, I think so. I mean... <laughs> That's weird. I think you just dress. I mean, there there are categories for clothes and there's business professional and there's business casual. And I mean, I just think that you can approximate from there. I think if you're really concerned about it and you don't know anyone who works there, there are plenty of like online articles that you yes. can look up or industry guides that you can look for. I just can't imagine stalking your workplace your future workplace two days because they're gonna be like is this person we're interviewing that same person that was in the bushes the other day yeah let's not hire her nothing in this article says hide in the bushes that's just what i'm picturing that's just where you went i guess show up and watch what other people are wearing yeah there's no way to do that where you're not creepy yeah i don't know that's getting ready for i mean we talked last time about applying and writing a resume and we've talked about Advice, terrible, sparkly advice for your interview and sh- and conducting yourself mm-hmm. in an interview. And then somebody has to make the decision, this hiring decision. And the first thing is companies have to be very aware, deliberate about how hiring panels are made. And Mm -hmm. the impression that they're giving to candidates who they interview, but also that whole diversity of opinions so that you're not just hiring people who remind you of yourself. Which may not necessarily even be intentional. Yeah. Um, So we've got the Harvard Business School in conjunction with the Kennedy School of Government that have looked into hiring. 
And what they say is that there are these inherent biases, which we all have, and that we carry them with us into hiring committees, whether course, we meant yeah. to or not. We carry them everywhere we go. Exactly. Yeah. And so one of the things that um, they were interviewing and researching hire, hiring managers, one thing that came out as they were just asking people to fill out forms about candidates they saw was that men and women in those positions made the assumption that females would be worse at math-related tasks than verbal tasks. And that males would be better suited to any job that required math. Hmm. So these are even people that know they're being studied. <laughs> you know, I mean, that matters yeah. in yeah. Yeah. these kind of social science situations. A different study at the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences revealed that male and female managers are both likely to hire a man over a woman given the same set of qualifications. So the woman's not more qualified. They're equally qualified. They're more likely to hire a man. The man gets the job. Because we talked in the last episode about how women tend to be more qualified mm -hmm. because they don't apply for every job. Right. But in this situation, it's two exactly equal applications. But one is Mike and one is Michelle. Mike gets the job. <sighs> and in cases where a less qualified candidate gets hired in favor of a more qualified candidate, most of those cases... Oh, two-thirds of the time, the lesser qualified person is a man. Right. So, so if they didn't go with the most qualified, if there was something else in the interview or something that just spoke to them. The sparkle. The sparkle. The vibe. Men sparkle, apparently. <laughs> he just fit with the team. Because, <laughs> yeah, two-thirds of the time, it's if it's a lower quality candidate, it's going to be a male. I, I hate to say that because that sounds like I'm saying like men are lower quality candidates. That's not what I'm saying. But, yeah, if, if it is a lower... Yeah, if they're not equal, if they're not equally qualified and they still hire the lower qualified person. Yes. Chances are they're doing that for a male candidate. Yes. Yeah. And the reason that people do that, these researchers say, is statistical discrimination. Yeah. So do you know about this? Yeah. I learned something reading this because oh, I, I mean, I knew what it was, but I didn't know something. the name of it. Yeah. I didn't know it had a name. So this is the idea that you have certain beliefs mm -hmm. and you are reinforcing those beliefs basically mm -hmm. with the evidence you see in front of you maybe not intentionally but you end up doing things based off these beliefs that you probably logically would not do mm -hmm. so in this case hiring the less qualified man yeah so statistical discrimination is a person acting on their beliefs about Men and women. Right. The average. In this case, yes. Men and women. And so it's not like, I don't want to hire her. She's a woman. No, it's like, oh, well, I know that women just are not good at math. And this job has, you know what? Carol is just not going to like it. But Bob over here. Yeah. He's probably going to like it. Yeah. So you're not even seeing them as people. You're seeing them as sums of parts. Mm-hmm. They did make a statement here that like this is better than taste-based discrimination where you're blatantly not hiring somebody because they're a woman <laughs> but I like mean, really is it better i don't know the outcome is still the same the outcome is still a man has a better chance of getting hired for a job he's number one more likely to apply for a job right. that he's not fully qualified for and then he's more likely to get hired for a job that he isn't even the most qualified for based on a person's 
assumptions about what men are usually good at and women are usually good at. And so I don't really think it's better than blatantly saying I'm going to hire him because he's a man. The outcome is the same. The deck is 100% stacked. And then um, this researcher goes on to say that there's a special problem with this statistical discrimination Mm -hmm. because people are not even aware that they're doing it. So if you ask them, they would say, of course, I'm fairly evaluating these candidates. Right. So it's it's implicit bias. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so that makes it harder to get rid of. Because not only do you have to, like, root it out, but you have to convince people that it is even happening yeah. before you can root it Good out. Good luck with that. It's hard. Yeah. Have you ever taken one of the Harvard implicit bias tests? Yes. Did you take the one about uh, women in the workforce? I took one that was a gender, math, and science. And... You just, when you're answering a question about who you associate with this skill of math, even me, I just, I'm like, for some reason, however the test is designed, it's very effective in getting you to recognize that you have these implicit biases. And I can't recommend it enough. I mean, I think a lot of gender studies classes require students to take the implicit bias, te- implicit bias tests as a check on themselves. So I know that a lot of college students end up taking these tests, but I cannot recommend the implicit. And it's it's a free online test yes. and you can take multiple. I wouldn't take more than once at a time because then you start kind of You kind of learn the game. You, you kind of game yourself out. So I took the women in the workforce one. Yeah. I'm a woman in the workforce. You are. I absolutely believe that women should be here, right? And I still had a slight bias towards men in professional positions Mm -hmm. and women in the home Mm -hmm. and it's just like that's in the back of my brain yeah because of the culture i was raised i don't actually believe that but it's floating around there somewhere and they i mean they have implicit bias tests that aren't related to gender they have oh yeah tests about body types and and all kinds of color um there's one i think about religion Mm -hmm. they're all really good do you want to talk about compound discrimination compound discrimination is also sometimes referred to as intersectionality Right. Or they're talked about in the same way. I'm like, well, intersectionality would be the positive. (laughs) Intersectionality is the opposite. But yeah, it's the same conversation. Right. So compound discrimination is having more than one reason for people to discriminate (laughs) against you. Yeah, people to discriminate against you. And at our institution, we call these like protected classes or protected status. And some of them are, some of them are not. Some and ever institutions differ. And states right? differ. So some places obvious I mean, the obvious ones are covered by most institutions that have diversity and inclusion policies. The obvious ones being age, gender, race, ethnicity, disability, right? Those are the ones that are most often. Well, and those are the ones that have federal legislation. But the other ones that I know our institution recognizes, right, have to do with gender expression, mm-hmm. sexual orientation, yes. veteran status, yes. languages spoken, culture, not just ethnicity and race, but also cultural. Right. Exactly. So and then there's a protected status around mental health, mental yes. illness. Yeah. And there are some states and institutions and companies that have these same kinds of protections for other types of illness, pregnancy, right? There's such a thing as pregnancy discrimination, uh, body type or weight. I can't think of any others. I'm sure there are. Yeah. But those are the big ones. Yeah. And, I mean, this does vary institution to institution and state to state. So what's covered here is not covered everywhere. Right. And what's covered at our institution is not covered 
in the state of Texas, no. right? It Mm-mm. is it is legal in the state of Texas to discriminate against a person for being gay. It's ele- it's legal in the state of Texas to discriminate against in terms of hiring against people for being transgender. Mm-hmm. So even though our institution has a policy, that doesn't mean that the it's state, not widely applied. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the ones that have. Federal legislation obviously have the most protection. Yes. So the Civil Rights Act, which you talked about before. And then I also wanted to mention the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, which protects people over 40. So those, there's kind of like structure to the protections. Mm-hmm. Everything else is kind of, you hope your institution covers it. Yeah. Or you live in a state that makes them. So assuming that you want to reduce bias in hiring and hiring decisions. Okay. Some best practices. And we're going to talk later in a little bit more detail about Sherm's advice for hiring committees. You want to remind us what that all is? Society for Human Resource Management. Thank you. Um, Some best practices using groups to hire. Because again, and I just learned this word yesterday, but... um, the word is mirrortocracy. So mm, instead of yeah. a meritocracy, a mirrortocracy, which is... You hire clones of yourself. Y- yes. Um, so a Harvard study revealed that employers who interviewed candidates in a group setting were far more likely to eliminate gender bias that might be inherent in an individualized hiring process. Well, and I think when you're in a group... You're you all ha- going to have different biases. <laughs> yes, for sure. But you have to defend your position. Yeah. If I say like, oh, I'm just not feeling this person, somebody in the room's gonna go, why? Hopefully, someone will say why, and yeah. I can't be like, because she's a girl. <laughs> like, you can't say and that. You, and then even if you didn't know you were discriminating based on gender, you have to investigate your own reason for not really feeling a candidate. And so maybe you kind of root that out in yourself, or at least you realize I don't really have a reason. Um, but yeah, you have to trust more than one person's gut reaction. Yes. To eliminate the most blatant biases. But even then, if you have a group of four white dudes right. who have pretty similar backgrounds, you have a group, but you're not necessarily eliminating gender or race or ethnicity bias in any way. So I think those things are like what may be sensitive to you yeah. is not going to be sensitive to me. But between all of us, yeah. hopefully we can pick up all the pieces. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, it doesn't take me long to figure out that you're only interrupting women. Right. And that your examples, when you give example student interactions, are disparaging toward women. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't take me long to pick that up. But if you're a man in the room, even if you're a pretty attuned dude, you may not pick that up because it's not happening to you. Right. And you are watching for other things when you are interviewing someone. Well, and we hire across discipline groups so like i might sit in an english interview you might sit in a history one and so if if i don't teach english i'd be like well that's all the examples there are (laughs) i mean i know that's not true but you know yeah yeah yeah. you know that because you're Mm -hmm. the person Mm -hmm. all right so what's the next thing we can do to eliminate bias or reduce it so the more you can standardize the tools and procedures the better is this person's advice but i don't know that i agree with that 100 percent. i think it's to an extent, right? Like, I do think everyone in an interview should be asked the same question so that that's fair. Yes. But except, I think you should be allowed to ask follow-up questions, too. Except those questions favor... Assuming you have good questions. Yeah. That's a big assumption. Yeah. That's a big assumption. 
because certain types of questions yeah, geared or towards. giving them certain types of assessments mm-hmm. are going to give advantages to different people. And even speech patterns or idioms or um, abbreviations that you use in interview questions, if a person's not familiar with them, that doesn't mean that they don't understand the concept. That just means they've never heard it phrased Unless that way. Unless it's critical to the position. I would agree with you. Right. Yeah, obviously... If you are interviewing for a history job, then you should know. NASA? Yeah. <laughs> if you ask me what NASA <laughs> is, we're going to have an issue. Yeah. But but those kinds of things you have to consider that you might be giving advantages to some or others. And that's why I think follow-up questions are important. Because if you ask a question in a way that the candidate maybe misunderstands the question and so they give you a little bit of a out-of-nowhere answer... But I mean, their answer is not bad, but it's just not really the question. And so it's clear maybe they misheard something, they misunderstood yes. something, there was a turn of phrase in there they didn't understand. So ask a follow-up question and give them another opportunity to give you the information you're really looking for instead of saying, ha ha, they didn't even understand the question. They must be dumb. So this next one we have on the list, I'm very excited about this. Okay. Have you heard this story? No. Blind auditions. Okay. So... In orchestras, they have made a, an attempt to bring more women in to professional orchestras. Cool. So the problem was when they were interviewing people, they were not seeing the candidates. So there was like um, partitions. So the person would walk up, pick up a cello, play. I guess you don't pick up a cello. You know what I mean. I, mean, I, think, I think you have to pick it up. Do yeah. you? Okay. Yeah. Play the cello and then walk off. Okay. And still, they were only hiring men. And it wasn't that the men were better players. So what they realized is that these people that were scoring the candidates, they were listening to the shoes as they walked to the cello. Oh, my God. Gender bias just runs so deep. And so heels, click, 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 Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. the men's shoes. Sure. And so they, again, not intentionally, were scoring the women lower Mm -hmm. because they knew they were women. So blind auditions, they... Had everybody like remove their shoes or they uh, would record it and only play the recording. But, you know, they would do things like Mm -hmm. to eliminate that sound that Mm -hmm. gave a clue as to the gender. That's interesting. Yeah. But you're right. It runs deep. Welcome to this job interview. Please (laughs) remove your shoes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if somebody asks you to remove your shoes and they, they tell you it's for a blind audition purpose... That's cool. If you're just coming to a job (laughs) interview for an academic job and you just take your shoes off, that's not Not as cool. cool. Yeah. All right. Okay. So let's say, let's say you have managed to navigate the very complex, the gendered wording in the job advertisement. You've convinced yourself to apply for a job, even though you didn't feel 100% qualified. You interviewed for a job. And hopefully you printed a map before you got there (laughs) and you sparkled with your eyes, with your eyes through the interview and you weren't wearing a wedding ring or anything provocative. Right. You get all the way through that. The people on your hiring committee, even though you're a woman with a floating uterus and a lady brain, they're like, let's take a chance on me. Let's take a chance on you. (laughs) Sorry, I was going to just sing a song, I guess. Let's say you get a job. You get offered a job. Someone calls you and says, I would like to offer you the position of junior associate or 
instructor or customer service representative, then what? What you should do or what mostly happens? What mostly happens. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Thank you. Do you want to hear the salary? Oh, I'm sure it's fine. Exactly. We want to know the salary, but we don't want to be difficult. We don't don't want to look greedy. I don't know how to ask without, uh, and uh, someone told me I should negotiate. And so, to be clear, first of all, not all salaries are negotiable. And a lot of places are not. (laughs) A lot of places hire you um, within a salary band. And so, if you're an intro level associate, you make between forty and fifty thousand dollars, and that forty and fifty thousand dollar, the where you go in that range is mostly based on your years of experience or something like that. And so, there's not really negotiation, but some places there is, right? And I think that's one of the concerns, right? Women think, well, Inman, how do I know if this is one of those places I can negotiate? <laughs> how do I know if this is the place to ask? Yeah. Just ask. So, and that's what I did, right? I said, um, okay, that's great. I was really hoping for, and then I said an amount that was higher. And then the HR director said, so I'm not really in a place to negotiate. This is really the only offer. He didn't get mad. Right. He didn't hang. You're you're still the candidate. He didn't say, oh, you dare to ask a question. I hang up on you now. (laughs) Now, did I want to say those words? No. Did I want to die and like melt out of my body when I said, oh, thank you. I was really hoping for this number. Yes, I absolutely wanted to die and melt out of my body. It was very uncomfortable. I do not want to be the, I just, I don't even like asking for extra ketchup when I'm at Burger King. You know what I mean? Like I just don't, I definitely didn't want to do it. But he said no and you still got the job. Exactly. And your life went on. Now I'm going to tell you, I did not negotiate because the amount they offered me was over what my negotiated amount was going to be. And I was just so... We're like, if they offer me a job, I'm going to go high and I'm going to ask for this number. And then they beat it. And you're like, oh, sure. No problem. I'm there. (laughs) You're crazy for giving me that much money. Right? Yeah. But it is... More likely than a man will ask to negotiate a salary. It is more likely that in preparation for life, it is more likely that a man has been, number one, told that he should negotiate, and number two, told how to. And it is more likely that if you ask, you get a higher salary. Right, because if there is a range and if negotiation is possible in Mm -hmm. this job, why would I start you out at the highest Point. Exactly. I mean, why would I do that as a hiring person? I'm right. not going to do that. And they don't just give you extra money because you asked for it. But if you say, well, in my current position, I'm making this, and this would require more driving or more time or fewer days off or whatever. So I was really hoping for this. And I mean, this isn't inauthentic, but this is a strategy. It's right. the same strategy you have to use when you buy a car or, you know, all those kinds of things. You give a reason, you give a counteroffer, and you see what they say. But this is not something that that you're formally trained to do. So this is about socialization. And men are more likely to have learned this at some point in their lives before their mid-20s when they start getting jobs. Professional jobs. Yeah. I think the other thing, too, is what family you come from. Sure. Because I did not come from a middle-class family. So to some extent, negotiation was like, what? What do you do? Yeah. How do you do it? Yeah. So yeah, there's a little bit of that culture thing in there too. 
Um, something else you can remember, though, is don't just negotiate money. That's a good point. There are other things you can negotiate. That's true. Do you want a flex day at home? Yeah. Do you need a little bit of extra vacation time? Like, whatever it is, yeah. this is your chance to ask. Mm-hmm. Ask before you get hired. And sometimes those things are not up to the HR person who's, right. who's offering you the job. And sometimes they say, you know, we'll have to take that up with the person hiring you. I mean, they will tell you what the process is because it is different everywhere you get hired. But nobody who goes through the process of interviewing five candidates, making a job offer, coming up with a salary, nobody is going to rescind the offer because you dared to ask if I mean, it was you'd possible. have to ask for something crazy. Right. And so there is really nothing to lose. Right. But I don't know how we get more women socialized to do that. You know what I mean? Like, how do we change the culture so that women are more likely to ask for a higher salary or to negotiate for additional benefits? I mean, there's lots of things you can ask for. Moving expenses, right? There are lots of people who have lots of experience in the business world who have written books and articles about it. So even though I don't have necessarily the most advice especially since I've only really ever worked in academia professionally. Oh, you didn't negotiate at your subway job? <laughs> no. <laughs> and the same thing happened to me when I worked um, for a recruitment researcher is I was going to offer, I was going to ask for a certain amount of money and they offered me like way more than that. So I didn't. You were just so stunned. You're just like, yes. I was like, oh, I'm not going to say any words except <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. So Sarah LaShiever has written some business advice books. Yes. And uh, one of the books is called Women Don't Ask. Yes. And one of the books is called Ask For It. Is that right? Yes. There's two different books. Yes. So these are books that can give you probably better advice than we can. Um, but one a quote from Sarah LaShiever is, women tend to get excited and feel automatically grateful and they end up accepting the offer right away, which is what you were saying. Yes. So since employers rarely offer the maximum salary that they can pay, I mean, why would they? Women who know, who don't negotiate can cheat themselves out of a substantial amount of money. Well, and that amount of money compounds over time. Of course, because... Because of the uh, cost of living raises that yeah. you might get. Or percentage. Percentage. So if I'm already 3000 down yeah. from a male colleague that was hired the same day as every I am, that it you just grows. There. Yeah, every just year. grows and grows and grows. So... Anytime you want to apply for advancement, anytime you want to add additional responsibilities or get a raise, all of those biases and stereotypes, you have to re-navigate that whole thing. Right. And there's kind of a, I mean, there's even a stereotype of a woman who stands outside of an office stealing herself to prepare to ask for a raise. I mean, I've seen that in like a hundred movies, right? Yes. She's clutching papers. She's standing outside the door. Like whispering to herself, convincing herself that it. she can go in and ask for a raise or go in and ask for Wasn't there like a, a promotion. Wasn't there like a deodorant commercial about that? There is a commercial that's on right now about a woman who's going into a meeting and she has to prepare herself because her nemesis from research is there. And it's all about the, I think, for some, a red dress. Maybe it's a laundry soap commercial. I think it's a Coke commercial. 
those new Coke flavors. But I know there was like a, a deodorant one too. Like you're going to go in there and you're going to ask for the raise. You're going to sweat right. really heavy. It is a diet. It, yeah, that is a Diet Coke commercial because she. it says in the commercial that she drank a Diet Coke for breakfast. Not with breakfast. Okay. For breakfast. It says in this red dress commercial that she drank a Diet Coke for breakfast. Well, in fact, let's play it. <laughs> let's listen to it right now. This is a fire drill, not for an actual fire. She's not like a real firefighter. This is an 8 a.m. meeting that was originally a 4 p.m. meeting, and her biggest critic, Neil from Research, is attending it. And with eight less hours to prepare and a Diet Coke strawberry guava canned breakfast, she's nailing it. Research this, Neil. Yeah, she drank a Diet Coke for breakfast. That's all there is to that advertisement. Take that, Neil. <laughs> Although I will say, for a dumb commercial that plays on some stereotypes and tropes, a lot of diversity there. Yeah. And uh, good examples of professional dress. In case you wanted some more. <laughs> good. But, but 100% she drank a Diet Coke for breakfast, which has zero calories. So... Just throwing that out there. It's a terrible idea. Don't don't drink it for <laughs> breakfast. <sighs> One more time. SHRM is the Society for Human Resource Management. Not SHRM. And they have advice for companies. And I feel like this succinctly covers what we want to say here at the end, which is, sure, we've made progress. And in our office, in our campus... We have women teaching math. We have women teaching economics. We have more female department chairs than we do male department chairs. Mm -hmm. In fact, we have six department chairs and one of them is a man, right? Our dean, our vice president, they're both women. There, there are a lot of places where these kinds of biases and stereotypes are becoming less and less pernicious and less and less prevalent. Now, I, I want to just put an asterisk by that. Yeah. Because our campus is relatively new. Absolutely. And we weren't having to fight the culture of a campus that right. was instituted in the 1970s. Right. Because it was created five years ago. Right. Right. So, I mean, I think that gives us a huge advantage huge. in those things. Huge. Absolutely. And we weren't pulling from the same pool. Yes. And so a lot of times people say you should hire from within. But if most of the people who work in an organization are white guys, then you're promoting mostly white guys. And we get back to that whole self-fulfilling, self-feeding, self-perpetuating problem, which is if women don't have experience, they can't get the job, but they can't get experience without the job. And they have no leadership skills. Or math and reasoning. Right. And they need to sparkle. <laughs> so institutional change is incremental and very slow. And anyone who's ever worked for an institution knows that. But institutions are made up of people. And people are relatively good at course correction. So Sherm's advice is to set aspirational recruiting goals. So what does that mean? That means that you might say, here at Acme Company, 
we have uh, 40% of our employees are female. We're doing pretty good at gender parity. But if you look at it, most of those women are in low-level administrative support roles. Or most of those women are nurses. Or most of those women are in one division. Or most of those women are in entry-level positions. So company-wide numbers are not the same as actual gender parity. Does that make sense? Yes. So you can't look at the whole. You got to look at pieces of the whole. Exactly. So what about at different levels or in different departments? What about where the big decisions are being made? And what about on the hiring committees for new employees? Do you have gender parity there? Now, are they advocating that you would go into a hiring committee saying, we're going to hire a woman? No. They are saying create institutional culture which cultivates more aspirational recruiting goals. They are saying make sure that big decisions are being made by more than just mostly male-identifying employees of a certain subset or age group. So basically what they're saying there is open the door to allowing women. Exactly. So if the most obviously qualified person you interview is a man, then he should still get the job. But if you qualified as a woman, you should also get a chance to get the job. Exactly. Yeah. And reevaluate how you've determined who is the most qualified. Yes. Uh, The next piece of advice is to strengthen the appeal of your company or institution to women. So highlight women at your company, include their insights when making decisions, put their profiles and experiences on the webpage, create opportunities within the company for mentorship and role modeling to foster professional growth of women who already work there. But make the place of employment a place where women feel confident, comfortable, and have some sense of agency So that because networking is something that happens, the word gets out if you are a hostile work environment. So make your workplace appeal to women. And the other thing is make your job posts more inclusive, which we've talked about. Focus on performance objectives instead of minimum qualifications. And that's important. Oh, that's interesting. Focusing on performance objectives means what the ideal candidate would be able to do. If you focus on minimum qualifications, that means only people who have already done this job can get this job, as opposed to people who could be great at this job, but who have never done it before. And the other thing is, if women statistically are less likely to apply for a job that they don't feel 100% qualified for, take out all the qualifications that you don't really need a person to have. So they call those nice-to-haves, and they said take them all out because they're keeping people from applying. If I don't have three years of experience in financial management, right, but I have one year of experience in that and 10 years of experience in something similar, as a woman, I might not apply because I'm like, well, I don't have those three years. But if you have has experience in financial management, and would be able to blah, 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 blah. Check, 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 check. I I can do that, right? Mm -hmm. Leaving out seniority requirements, because those tend to perpetuate imbalances, just like we were talking about. Because if only men were getting hired for these jobs 20 years ago, then they have all this seniority. 
So again, what do you want them to be able to do as opposed to what have they done in the past? Yes. Include salary and benefits information, right? Studies show that women want that information. They're more likely to apply for jobs where they have that information. And who doesn't want that information? I mean, that would just save everyone everywhere so much time. I know. I mean, that's not even a gender thing. That's just, just do it. It just makes <laughs> life easier. It lets them know what to expect. And then the pay scale is more likely to be gender neutral. Right. And make job ads gender neutral. Again, back to those research studies that we were talking about before. Not just add some feminine words, but just try to take out all of those really gendered words and to focus on performance objectives. Right. And so we've talked, we've talked about good advice for women who are trying to navigate this. But I think there are just as many women who are starting to be in positions where they can change the culture a little bit wherever they do work. Yes. And try to insert yourself into as many hiring committees as you can. You guys should not have a hiring committee with three white guys in their 40s. (laughs) And people look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, I'm serious. You just should not. That should not be your hiring committee. You need a diversity of opinions. Just because we all hear and look for different things. And if you're talking about a meritocracy, three people who already have similar background, similar age, same race, same job title, same level of education, you're going to get a fourth one of that. Right. Most likely. Exactly. Fight the power. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I could say, Missy. Get in the room. Yeah, I think that's how you fight. Get in the room. Kick the door down. Okay, so Misty. Yeah. What's next in your lady life? And before you (laughs) tell me some lame history thing, I need you to specifically tell us what movie you are going to see because we are planning a summer movies episode where we talk about all or most or some of the movies from this summer. And you have to go to the movie theater So, and you have to watch one. Given that I have homework, I am going to go watch The Kitchen. Of course. Obvious choice, right? Sure. I wasn't going to go see a Fast and Furious Presents movie, and I'm not going to go see a creepy clown or a shark movie. So this is it. This is what we got. Object of Elimination. (laughs) So The Kitchen is a great choice. Uh, three female leads. Um, I think it takes place in the past, so that's oh, good. history. Sort of. It's like the 70s. What's next in your lady life? Well, I'm going to see probably all those movies <laughs> that you just disparaged. In fact, I've already seen the Hobbs and Shaw movie, but I took my mom because she likes Jason Statham. But... I have seen almost all of the summer movies that there are to see. I've seen The Secret Life of Pets 2. Did you see oh, that? Oh, I saw that. Aladdin, Toy Story 4, Spider-Man Far From Home, Midsummer, Crawl. That's a scary crocodile movie. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Trash. And I'm going to see the first It in the theater again before I watch It I don't understand your life. Why? Just it seems movies like, are fun. Do you just live at the movie theater? Do no. you have like reserved seats with your names on the back? No. 
It's fun. It still freaks me out that I have to pick a seat. Like, I didn't go to movie theaters for so long that when I go in, they're like, where do you want to sit? I'm like, I didn't know that was a choice. But isn't it preferable, though? I mean, I guess. You guess? I guess. Seems like it rewards people that get there late. As opposed to rewarding people who get there early and stand in line and get a good seat. Yeah, but when we were kids, we had to stand in lines for movies for like four hours. Well, I did not do that. Okay, well, when big movies came out, you had oh, to like... Oh, I always went like way after. Okay. Way after. This is a lifelong... Speaking about... Talking about I don't understand your life. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Profess Hers, our podcast about seeing movies, culture, and history through our lady eyes. I'm Misty, and my favorite interview question is, why do you want this job? Pretty basic. And I'm Allegra. And my favorite interview question is, what about this position most excites you? So you speak HR and I don't. (laughs) We'd love to hear from you what you thought about today's episode, what you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, or how great you think we are. How great you think I am. To connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ProfessHers at P-R-O-F-E-S-S-H-E-R-S or by email, same address, ProfessHers at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you to everyone who has been listening, commenting, liking, and reviewing our podcast. Please keep doing all those things, and we hope you recommend our podcast to a friend or your boss. And remember to sparkle with your experience and qualifications, but also maybe your eyes.